Hello, Legion of Audience. This is James. And before we get started today, I wanted to take a second and let you all know about the brand new Who Would Win Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and get behind-the-scenes access like you've never seen before, go to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow right now. Who Would Win patrons will have access to outtake videos, early info on battles, and even get a vote on characters that we'll use in upcoming episodes. So if you'd like to support me and the show, head to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow, and for as little as five bucks a month, you can define yourself as more than just a fan. You'll be an official member of the Legion. Hope to see you there. Leading an away team on the planet's surface, Worf returns to ancient Earth after a spectral anomaly. A distress beacon has gone off in a seedy part of a large city. Making his way into a den of iniquity, he sees the fingerprints of criminal enterprise all around him. Enough of this! Worf shouts to everyone and no one. I demand to see your leader, and when I'm done with him, all of this will be shut down. A voice rises above the smoke and shame of the room. I'm right here, the towering kingpin declares, and I will not be shutting down. It's New York versus outer space. It's the Mafia versus the Federation. It's Kingpin versus Worf. Today on Who Would Win? And welcome to another episode of Who Would Win? a show that completely ignores anything important happening in the world and instead focuses on a fictional battle between two characters from the worlds of comics, sci-fi, and fantasy. I'm your host, James Gavsey, and as always, I'm joined by the one and only Ray Stacanus. Today's episode is another matchup that is so out of the box, so different, so crazy, that it somehow makes complete sense. In one corner, you have the Kingpin, a.k.a. Wilson Fisk, a physically formidable and intellectually astute crime lord in the Marvel Universe. And in the other corner, you have Star Trek's Worf, a Cleon warrior and Starfleet officer renowned for his deep sense of honor, loyalty, and the struggles he faces balancing his Cleon heritage with his duties in Starfleet. As usual, I did the patented Who Would Win Google test just to see how many times this matchup has been discussed. And look, there were rumors of this exact matchup being discussed, but has never gotten the current Who Would Win treatment until now, that is. Ray, what are your thoughts on today's matchup? I'm excited about today's matchup, and I will say uh, a legion of audience, Rainiacs, awkward allies, forgive my voice right now. For some reason, over this last weekend, it cracked, I broke it, and I'm going to try to stay very hydrated, and I'm going to try to do my best to give you the most listenable experience possible today. But as I get excited, my voice will be breaking down, so you get to enjoy that. What I will also say is that this is a Patreon patron matchup. We put a little poll out there. Which character do you want to see? And the I believe the top winning uh, character, I believe, was it was either War for Kingpin, but the other one was second place. And so we just decided these two make sense against each other. Let's give the patrons what they want. You can always go to patreon.com slash who would win show and get involved in voting and other things that we do on the site. You know, I love our Patreon community, and in this matchup is really cool because it brings up that classic matchup question, namely, can a modern-day physical badass like the Kingpin take out an incredible warrior from the future like Worf? Who knows? That's what we're doing today. So, look, when you're faced with this type of epic battle, you need a judge who's a mega fan of both the Marvel and Star Trek universes, someone who can take their immense knowledge and make the ultimate decision of the winner between these two mega franchises. And do we have such a judge for today's episode? Let's find out. 
making their first appearance on the Who Would Win show. It's the host of the TV and movie trivia podcast. It's Brian Sheehan. Brian, welcome to Who Would Win. Guys, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is going to be interesting. It's definitely one of our more interesting matchups. Now, before we get into this, please tell the Legion of Audience, our faithful fan base, what you've been up to. What have I been up? Let's see. I'm starting the year good. Watching a lot of movies. Uh, I have a movie podcast of my own here with uh, doing trivia. And I've just been uh, crushing X-Men movies here, getting ready for uh, a month or two of X-Men related trivia. And that's how I've been spending most of my free time. I love it. And listen, your podcast is fantastic. Race to Canis actually was raving about his appearance on there. Tell the Legion of Audience, our fan base, all about the podcast and where they can listen to it. The podcast is called the TV and Movie Trivia Podcast. It's a trivia-style podcast focusing entirely on movies. So if you enjoy questions like, what's the name of Michael Scott's screenplay? What do you say to view the Marauder's map? What are Tony Stark's last words to Thanos in Avengers Endgame? Or where does Ron Burgundy say he is when he calls the news station sobbing from a phone booth? These are all questions uh, that I discuss and have my guests answer on my podcast. Covered a lot of stuff. I've had our very own race to Canis here for Wedding Crashers, Army of Darkness, finally getting to talk about the ash that I know he loves so much, Wreck-It Ralph, and most recently Spaceballs. Uh, and just uh, trivia questions just from the movie. No, no deep cuts, no background knowledge, uh, just testing what you know of the film. And uh, it's a lot of fun. You can find me on all the socials at TV Trivia Pod. I love it. Okay, so you heard it here first, Legion of Audience. Check out that great podcast. But in the meantime, we got to get to our own podcast episode right now. Ray, please do us the honors and announce today's matchup. Representing Marvel Comics. The criminal mastermind who is so big that he absolutely would be asked to step off that one Harry Potter flying through Hogwarts ride at Universal Studios, you know, because he doesn't fit in the chair. But like, I mean, that's pretty normal if that happens. That's not really a big deal if they do that. Right. I mean, we all we all agree that that's not a big deal. Right. It's a normal thing that happens to people all the time. Ray. It's not a big deal. Kingpin. And representing Star Trek, the Klingon who had to stop visiting San Francisco because people kept throwing fish at him, Worf. I love it. You know, speaking of the Worf at the Santa Monica Pier, which is kind of like a Worf, you think about it. I, I was so big for a ride, I actually broke a ride in the kids' area. We'll talk about that later. Well done, Ray. Before we go any further, let's go over the basics of a Who Would Win match. Now, each debater will make three points. Keep in mind that the Who Would Win match is a random encounter in a neutral location with no prior knowledge or prep time allowed. And the debater has to stay within the confines of the character. And when it comes to determining the winner, it's the judge who has the final say and will determine which character lost based on death, incapacitation, or battlefield removal with no outside interference being allowed. Remember, you can always check out all the rules on our website at www.whowouldwinshow.tv. And before we get started, don't forget to visit the official Who Would Win store. Visit www.whowouldwinstore.com to get your hands on some great Who Would Win shirts and merch. And now, let's get to the tale of the tape for both of our combatants. Ray, please give us the details for The Kingpin. Kingpin, a.k.a. Wilson Fisk, is a criminal mastermind in Marvel Comics and beyond. He was created by Stan Lee and John Romita Sr. and first appeared in The Amazing Spider-Man number 50 back in 1967. Wilson Fisk is a recluse who always looked at society from the outside. An overweight child, he was bullied by the other kids up until the point where he got himself trained to fight and then started his own gang, eventually getting the eye of the mob. 
By the end of his climb, he was the kingpin, a calculating and brutal leading figure in the criminal underbelly of New York City. The kingpin is massive and strong and often opposes heroes such as Daredevil, Spider-Man, and of course, the Punisher. Fun fact, Kingpin is often just thought of as a behind-the-scenes crime boss, but his public persona has accomplished so much more than that. In fact, when Hydra tried to take over New York City, Kingpin helped keep the city safe. And then he spun that public goodwill into a campaign for mayor of New York City, which he won. That's right. In the comics, Kingpin became the mayor of New York City. Not bad. And quite honestly, probably not the worst one New York's seen anyway. Anyway, that is Kingpin. Interesting stuff. Now, here are the details for Worf. Worf, a character in the Star Trek franchise, is one of the most iconic figures in science fiction television and was created by Gene Roddenberry. He first appeared in the premiere episode of Star Trek The Next Generation titled Encounter at Farpoint, which aired in 1987. Worf, played by actor Michael Dorn, is distinguished as the first Klingon officer in Starfleet, making a significant development in the Star Trek universe where Klingons were traditionally portrayed as antagonists. Worf's backstory is rich and complex. He was born on the Klingon homeworld of Quonos as Worf and was adopted by human parents, Sergei and Elena Rojenko, after his biological parents were killed at the Kittimer outpost by the Romulans. This unique upbringing creates a compelling tension within him as he constantly grapples with his Klingon heritage and his upbringing by human parents. Throughout Star Trek The Next Generation and later in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Worf's character undergoes significant development exploring themes of honor, loyalty, and identity. And here's an interesting fact about Worf. Did you know that he used to like a particular sport created by humans when he was a kid? It's true. Worf was raised as a kid by his human parents, as I mentioned before. And just like a lot of human parents, they did the right thing and enrolled Worf into some kid's sports, because why not? And Worf evidently liked to really play soccer. However, his would-be soccer career came to an abrupt stop when after chasing the ball against a player from the other team, Worf, you know accidentally headbutted the kid it happens and you know he headbutted him with his superhumanly dense klingon skull and as it happens accidentally killed the kid he headbutted as it happens what a shame that was as Worf could have probably been the captain of the junior olympic soccer team or something like that and now you have the facts on both opponents brian do you have any questions before we get started i have no questions before we get started here i know a brief background on kingpin uh my knowledge on both isn't great most of my kingpin knowledge does come from the spider-man cartoon growing up and what i've most recently seen from the daredevil uh netflix series and i know he's an intimidating figure i know he's stronger than he looks and is strong enough to kill spider-man that we've seen in the animated one uh into the spider-verse i i don't know anything about Worf. coming in totally blank here i have a paper here i have pen i'm gonna be writing things down adding up points here and i'm gonna try and do this as unbiased and scientifically as possible all right well listen that brings up an interesting point because i'm using Worf from the uh you know tv series the next generation and deep space nine it's the same character but what version of kingpin are you using race to canis it's a great question i'll be using the comic book version of kingpin he's Ooh. had too many delightful adventures for me not to use this version I got to tell you, Kingpin is such a great character in almost, I, I, I'll just say it, in every version I've seen of the Kingpin, 
But yeah, using the comic book version, I think that's a good point. Makes things a little tougher for me, but it's going to make things a lot more interesting. That's All right, funny Ray. you say that, James, because it's funny thinking about it. There's no bad version of Kingpin through any of the media. They're all excellent. You don't usually get that across the board with a character. There's always, you know, there's always that one bad James Bond out there. You know, there's always just like one of every character that just doesn't go. You know what? Uh, luckily, there's no such thing for Batman, George Clooney. They're, mm. for the most part, all excellent mm. except for George Clooney. Mm. But uh, I see what you're saying, George Clooney. All right, Ray, let's do this. Please proceed with your first point. Point number one for the kingpin. I mean, let's talk about the basics. He's big and strong, right? Size and strength. He is a character who is massive. He is huge. He, he can bench press 650 pounds. That makes him a peak human physicality on top of peak human physicality. He can clean and jerk 1,245 pounds. So when it comes to just picking up another human being, it really is not a big deal. Kingpin is said to weigh about 400 pounds, and of that it is only 2% or less body fat. That means it is 400 pounds of nearly entirely muscle. And that's why he is as strong as he is. And strength-wise, he picks up and throws people. This is one of his very common moves. He picks up superheroes and throws them into other superheroes. And it makes me happy every time he does it. He also has very powerful, strong hands. I've seen him just crush things. He picks up a big rock crushes it into dust. He picked up a steel chair in the comics, bent it out of shape. He picked up a man's head still attached to a man and squished it like a watermelon. That's ridiculous, and he did it. He also craters nearly anything he hits. By that, I mean if he punches you and hits the wall behind you, he dents the wall. It could be made of concrete. It could be made of stone. It could be made of metal. It doesn't matter. He's going to crack that and just crater everything he punches, kicks, swings at. You don't want to get hit by him because that could be your face that's getting cratered. He once punched a demon. This was crazy. He was approached by a demon and he punched it so hard it disintegrated. It literally turned into dust and everyone around him is like, did you just seriously punch a demon and it turned into dust? He goes, we don't have time to worry about that right now. We're, we have other things to do outrageous, but he could also take a hit as well as you have to, when you're fighting all of these Marvel characters, he once got hit by a car, just straight up hit by a car. The car was totaled. The driver was killed instantaneously and he was fine. At the end of the day, Spider-Man once took 1500 pounds of weights and hit him in the face with it. And he was able to recover from that and keep going. And his body is so big and so muscular that it can absorb blunt force trauma exceptionally well, right? Not only can he take a punch and really it doesn't affect him because of his body. He once got hit with shurikens from uh, ninja, the hand and no big deal. They just sort of stuck out of him slightly. He got shot in the back by a character named Bushwhacker and then just got up off the ground and was fine. But not only is he strong, he is fast as well. This is a guy who beat up four gang members in literally six seconds. So he can move a lot faster than you would give him credit to because he knows how to fight. We'll get into that later. A guy named, I don't know, Boomerang threw his boomerang at Wilson Fisk and he caught it. 
He's fast. He can do these things. And my favorite one, Deadpool was coming up on him after he had hired Deadpool in one of the comics. I read this entire trade. It's wonderful. I believe it's Deadpool versus the Punisher. Maybe I got that one wrong. Doesn't matter. The point is Deadpool came up on him and Wilson Fisk got annoyed at him and grabbed him into a chokehold so fast from when he was behind him that Deadpool said, oh, I forgot how fast he is. I need to make sure I give distance. I do not want to be annoying this man this close to him for he will speed move me and it will be very bad for me. If you can hit Deadpool in a spin move, I'm sorry, you can get Worf wherever you need to. Too strong, too fast, too durable. Sorry, Worf, you're going down once again. And that's my point number one. This is why I love the Kingpin, because he's sometimes portrayed as, is he superhuman, is he not? But he's clearly not superhuman. I wouldn't even say he's at peak human. He's slightly below peak human, which is still fantastic. It's just that Kingpin knows how to use his body weight, his musculature in some really cool ways that are effective against some, you know, beings that are slightly superhuman, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Look, he's got James Gabsy like, you know, Canadian type of strength. I love that. You know, I remember as a kid, I used to bend steel chairs with my classmates. It was just a fun thing to do. And, you know, he is faster than he looks. But here is the deal. He's not super fast. He's not super durable. He does have human limitations, although they're slightly above peak and they're high level. And I'll just kind of leave it at that because I don't want to put the character down, but it's kind of important to kind of understand what he's bringing to the table and what he's not bringing to the table. Although I do like what Rape did with the whole point number one. Now, for my point number one, I'm going to talk about the Klingon advantages. You know, so Worf is a Klingon has many advantages for battle over the most powerful type of human like the Kingpin. Keep in mind that that Klingons are amongst the most powerful of the humanoid races in Star Trek. And it's no surprise that Klingons like Worf, known for their unique and kind of robust physiological aspects, you know, many of which are really, really superior to humans in terms of durability and power, especially in combat. They've got these. For example, Klingons have what's called a redundant redundant bodily system. Klingons call it Brachlul, which is really cool. Now, this thing just includes multiple backups for any organ system, such as having two livers, an eight-chambered heart, two stomachs. And this, uh, you know, redundancy, makes them really, really resilient to injury. They can survive wounds that would be lethal to humans and not have an issue with it because if their liver's pierced, hey, I got another liver, I'll use that one while my first one recovers. Klingons are known for being able to stay in peak fighting condition despite wounds that would take out almost any other race of humanoid in Star Trek. Really cool. Now, you got to talk about their musculoskeletal system because the Klingons have a denser and stronger system compared to humans. A really, really denser. Klingons are at least as powerful as Vulcans, who are three to five Five times more powerful than humans. This also makes Klingons much faster than humans. In fact, in one of the premier episodes of Star Trek Next Generation, where Data is tracking uh, Worf, Data is amazed at how fast Worf is moving. He's probably at least two to three times faster than a regular human. Now, their bone structure, their density, now that bone structure we talked about is way denser than human bones. They have a reinforced skeletal structure, and this includes, it's really cool, an exoskeleton in some parts of their body, most notably the forehead ridges we see all the time. And we see that exoskeleton on the spine, sometimes on the hands and feet as well. And this skeletal structure really gives them a lot more extra protection and resistance to any type of physical damage. Fun fact, it's extremely hard to break a Klingon's 
bone. It's really cool. Now, this is a little kind of an interesting detail. They've got superior blood clotting. All that means is if you do happen to get them to bleed, that blood is going to clot super fast, which is uh, designed to make them not lose as much blood, which is designed to make them heal much faster. Uh, you know, this is something that lets them stay in a fight for much, much longer than a regular human. They've also got enhanced senses. They've got better vision, sense of smell, sense of hearing than humans do. They've got a greater lung efficiency. This is cool. They've got a more robust respiratory system. This is right from the Star Trek wiki. This is official. And it's theorized in Star Trek that these extra organs, you know, the third lung, evolved to give Klingons greater stamina on the battlefield. They actually do have superhuman stamina, and this is going to play a big factor in this fight. Of course, you can't be a Klingon without heightened pain thresholds, which are exceptionally high. Again, it's a great episode in The Next Generation. You know, Worf is doing this this you know type of ceremony that he can't do in his home worlds. So they reenacted on the holodeck, except they use these pain sticks that are 100% legit. One of these pain sticks is rumored to have blown up this rhinoceros-sized animal creature because of what it does to the internal organs. And Worf has to take, what, 10 of those blasts all the way down, two at a time from either side, right into his ribs. That's horrible. He's got that heightened pain threshold. Kingpin's going to dish out some punishment, but Worf's going to take it. And finally, Klingon teeth, you know, he's got two sharp fangs and he's got sharpened teeth throughout. He, he'll bite down on someone. He's going to fight dirty. Look, in terms of where Klingons land in the power structure of the Marvel Universe, again, I'd say they have physical qualities in the Captain America range. Uh, definitely some are going to be a little bit higher in terms of durability, possibly the strength, and they're definitely superhuman. That's the very least that Worf is bringing into this battle because there's so much more. All of that is my point number one. Uh, I love Worf. Look, Worf, Michael Dorn is one of my favorite uh, actors, especially from, uh, look, he did he did Fallout games. I don't know what to tell you. Worf uh, was in Fallout games. That means I love him no matter what. But I'm sorry, Worf, what I got to do to you here. First things first, I could use two stomachs. Every time I go to the Golden Corral, I fill up the first one, but I definitely wish I could be eating more. So uh, if I could take one lesson from Worf, it'd be like, let's get that redundancy going in my, in my particular uh, effect. Talk about superhuman effects, though. I would argue Kingpin definitely. Like, he has peak human physicality, but he's so much larger, that's what takes it above peak human physicality, right? He has, if he was a foot shorter and 200 pounds lighter, that would be Olympic level peak physicality. But he is so much more than that, taking it over the top. And he has superhuman stamina. I'm sorry. This is a guy who, in, in an amazing storyline, he said, at midnight, I have 24 hours, and at midnight, I'm not doing crimes anymore because my wife won't let me, Vanessa. So he fought Spider-Man with six hours to go on the clock and fought him for six straight hours until Spider-Man beat the clock and then at midnight he had to stop beating on him. If you can fight Spider-Man for six hours, you got superhuman stamina. Look, Worf is big, Worf is strong, just not nearly as big, not nearly as strong as Kingpin. Interesting stuff. I'll got more to say about all of this, but let's see what our judge has to say. Brian, you've heard one point from both Ray and myself. Where's your head at so far with this battle? Guys, I've written stuff down and it is close right now, but I'm giving the lead right now to Worf. I've liked a lot what I've heard about Kingpin. Very big and strong, benching 650, clean and jerk 1245. That he punched a demon and turned into dust is very interesting fact. And that again, he's taken hit by cars, Spider-Man, Ninja Stars getting shot, and was able to get back up. Really impressed by that. Uh, but Worf too has really impressed me, especially with this heightened pain threshold with what was this thing? You said something about blowing up a rhinoceros and he took it 10 times. Wild to me, the superior blood clotting liked a lot, increasing his healing factor and the fact that he has redundant 
organs in case one gets damaged and can replace another. These are these are strong strong uh, points here for Worf. So I got Worf slightly in the lead right now. That is interesting. This is gonna be a fantastic battle. It's definitely hitting up. We'll be right back for point number two. We have a new sponsor for Who Would Win, and I think y'all might enjoy this one. It is Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile game that taps into everything we all love about Marvel Comics. You get to pick a squad of your favorite Marvel heroes, you know, and villains, let's keep it real, and team them up to fight big bads like Doctor Doom and, of course, save the universe. Your goal in Marvel Strike Force is to power up your characters and compete PvP against other players in multiple different modes. And you know I'm not telling you all about this empty-handed, because if you're a new user and sign up with our promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, you're going to get hooked up with all kinds of free stuff to get you started the right way. Let's face facts. You love Marvel, you love gaming, and you got a phone. So take a sec and check out Marvel Strike Force using the link in the description of this episode, ideally, and use our promo code MAXPOOL and get the whole Who Would Win show hookup. Thanks again to Marvel Strike Force and thanks to me for this great read. Good job, me. And we're back. Ray, let's see what you've got. Hit us with your point number two. Point number two for Kingpin. Let's talk a little bit about his gear, and then let's really talk about who Worf is as a character. Because first off, his gear. Kingpin typically wears a Kevlar set of armor. He has a special suit made that's essentially all made of Kevlar, which means it's resistant to what? Punching bullets. It's resistant to uh, stabbing and, and slashing. And it, it's it's a very, very protective suit of armor. Worf, on the other hand, is wearing a Starfleet uniform, which quite frankly does not offer a whole lot of protection at all. Wilson Fisk also carries what he refers to as his obliterator cane. It, it, it can charge up energy and then he turns it and then shoots it as a laser blast at his enemy and it could absolutely kill depending on how much energy has been built up in the cane. This is what he was actually going to kill Spider-Man with is his obliterator cane. Uh, and it can vaporize a person's head at close range. It can vaporize a handgun. It can vaporize anything that, you know, a character would be holding in their hands, for example. I'm sure James won't be talking about that at all. He also wears a diamond stick pen that conceals compressed sleeping gas. And if he gets in close enough and there's a grapple situation, much like the Joker's acid flower, he has some sleeping gas that he could spray into the face of Worf and make him go nighty night. And all of that is very, very cool. I think that as far as gear goes, obviously Kingpin has the more technologically advanced gear than Worf. I think we can all agree. Let's just move forward. Let's talk about Worf because Worf, I hate doing this. I love Michael Dorn. I love this character, but Worf is easily the most ineffective security officer in the history of Starfleet in the Star Trek universe. Episode after episode after episode, this guy gets his but handed to him by whatever the, the monster of the week is. It has literally got its own terminology as a trope. It is called the Worf effect. Worf is billed as this top fighting, big, powerful Klingon who's running security and you can't get by him, except literally 
everybody beats him up over and over and over again on the show. It is a, some would call it a lazy plot contrivance on Star Trek The Next Generation that says, we're introducing a new character. We want people to understand he is tough. Let's make sure he beats up Worf in the very first scene we see him in so we understand that this guy means business. But what does it mean when random Klingons, Chief O'Brien, random Borgs, Deanna Troy, human after human after human, Riker, random Ferengi, and Data slash Lore deck him and defeat him in battle as every single episode goes. I'm sorry, but when you're losing to O'Brien, as I saw the clip, when you're losing to Deanna Troy, who puts him in a handlock that he can't get out of, you are not the B.A. Baracus fighter that you are pretending to be. Also, speed. I would argue Wilson Fisk is a lot faster. I've argued the speed point already, but I've seen I've seen Worf take a laser hit. I've seen Worf take a phaser hit six different times over the course of the show. This guy can't get out of the way to save his life. And if you can't get out of the way of some of these blasts, what happens when Wilson Fisk drops a fist from above on the top of your head? The answer is Worf gets cracked and he ain't getting up. Just add it to the losses, because there's a lot of them. Sorry, Wharf Effect, but it's true. And that's my point, number two. Wow, you're going there. Okay, I had a feeling. I had a feeling this was going to be the case. Look, okay, let me just go through this piece by piece. Now, I get it. Wilson Fisk wears this Kevlar kind of vest or jacket or what have you. And it's good with blocking. You know, Kevlar is great for blocking and taking away or taking away a lot of the impact force of lower caliber bullets. Anything that hits harder than that, like a shotgun, you're wearing Kevlar vest, your insidey places are getting messed up. That's just a thing. It's also not great against really, really sharp bladed objects that are thrust into you by someone who's insanely powerful. That's a proven thing with Kevlar. I wonder if Warp has that. I don't know. We'll figure that out later. Too bad now, he the doesn't. Obliterator, yeah, I bet he doesn't. The Obliterator Kane is actually really interesting because that's a cool thing. He doesn't use that as much these days, but even if he did, the Obliterator Kane shoots once, whatever setting it's at, and then takes a while to recharge or get charged up again. It's not like it's shooting rapid fire. It's like one big shot, and then that's it. So it's got to do its job in that one shot. Probably not going to happen. And then in terms of, you know, the gas, again, doesn't work that well on Cleons because of their redundancy and their physiology. They can just take it. Uh, you know, where they're from is just a much harsher environment. So gas that affects humans doesn't affect Cleons the same way. You know, look, the warp effect. I'll admit, during the next generation, during the 80s, the, T the Star Trek series, Worf just got jobbed by everyone. Everyone's taking him out because that was a great way to say, hey, if you're tough, make him beat Worf. But things have changed dramatically when Worf goes into the next se uh, series, Deep Space Nine, and that whole Worf effect disappears because the true badassery of Worf comes out to play. I'll expand on that later. And finally, in terms of speed, yeah, I know Worf does get hit by, you know, punches and laser blasts and gunfire, what have you. Um, all the same things that the Kingpin has been hit by on numerous occasions by sub-superhuman people. Never mind people who are superhuman. All right, now, with all that being said, let me get to my point number two. And for my point number two, let's talk about Worf's fighting ability, his battle experience, and his weapons. Now, his combat abilities are a blend of his Klingon heritage and Starfleet training. Starfleet offers a ton of training. He is really one of the most skilled and respected warriors in the Star Trek universe, especially during Deep Space Nine, which is really what we're referred to. He's also added elements of alien fighting styles into his own because he fights a whole bunch of different aliens who have combat skills. And he's like, you know what? That's a great technique. I'll add it. That's a great technique. 
technique. I'll take that as well. So Warp, being an expert in hand-to-hand combat, trains constantly. He really does. He's got to constantly train because he wants to keep himself in peak physical condition. He's a peak physical Klingon. That is crazy. Now, his favorite exercise is something called the Makbara. That's a form of Klingon martial arts. He also uses a Klingon calisthenics program that's straight from the Star Trek wiki, which involves facing solid holographic opponents. Now, you think, okay, why is that a big deal? But these are insanely trained warriors in this simulation who are trying to kill him, which means he removes the holodeck safety protocols for his training. In other words, during his training against multiple opponents, against insanely skilled warriors, he has no safety protocols. They're coming to kill him, so he's got to beat them. He's also obviously had a lot of Starfleet tactical training. You know, as a Starfleet officer, Worf received a lot of training in terms of the tactical stuff, including combat strategies, weapons handling, marksmanship. He's also had extensive melee weapons training and improvised weapons training as well. Look, as if you're a Starfleet officer and you're going down different parts of the galaxy, you have no idea what you're going to face. you got to be prepared for every situation, including the situations where you don't actually have a weapon and you got to pick up whatever's around you and use it or you're in a melee situation Worf can do all of that in style now in Starfleet Worf also mastered judo and jujitsu boxing karate aikido krav my guy I guess that's still a thing in the 24th century fencing and also the uh the the cool futuristic style called anbo jitsu and that's a staff fighting style you know from the future now, back in the 90s, there was a book that came out and listed the top fighters in Star Trek. It was really cool. I remember reading it. Worf came in at number two behind Data. That's not a bad place to be. That's far higher than Captain Kirk. That's higher than a whole bunch of other characters who were powerful. Data was the first because of his, you know, titanium alloy, whatever. Worf was number two in terms of the best fighter in all of Star Trek. Now, in terms of one-on-one battle experience, Worf is the leading expert in interspecies combat experience. Now, in the Enterprise where he served and then Deep Space Nine, the second series, he gained a ton, and I mean a ton of experience fighting against Every type of alien species that came in, again, with their unique fighting styles. He's fought and beaten the Ferengi, humans, of course, members of the Borg. Borg are that, you know, technological hive mind type of intelligence where everyone is brought into the collective and then turned into a super powerful cyborg. He's fought and beaten Klingons. And he fought this really cool race called the Jem'Hadar. They're Jem'Hadar soldiers. These are beings who are genetically engineered engineered to be the perfect superhuman soldiers. And he's fought and defeated a ton of them. In terms of weapons, Worf is an expert in improvised weapons usage. I already meant that. He can use anything as a weapon. He loves to use his backlift. That's that really cool, long, curved, sword-looking thing. But the reality is that he's just going to have two things on him when he's in a fight. So the first thing he's going to have is his mechleth, which is a small, sword-like weapon about six inches long it's essentially a cool looking klingon dagger and keep in mind that Worf is a master at using it and is has to use it in such a way where he has to pierce klingon exoskeleton cranial exoskeletons so whatever kevlar kingpin's got Worf is going to be able to pierce that and Worf, here's the big one is also going to have his handheld phaser because in case you forgot from star trek phasers are the cool energy projectile weapons that are standard issue for starfleet now a typical hand phaser can be adjusted so it can shock or stun a living organism burn an object disintegrate an object or living being or even truly vaporize it and unlike that you know cane that kingpin has this thing is going to shoot rapid fire very very quickly does need to recharge that way now the stream of a phaser can be adjusted to strike multiple targets at once strike a single target with precision or even destroy large amounts of material this is crazy phasers can also act as bombs or grenades where the blast can destroy most natural objects within i guess it's a 50 meter radius keep in mind that wharf is a master of using a phaser in close or far 
far range in all of its settings. In terms of who's got the longer effective range in this fight, it is Worf 100%. Look, Worf is bringing a lot of fighting ability, battle experience, and weaponry to this battle. That cannot be disputed. All of that is my point number two. All right, I got a lot to come back on because you you talked way too long. My point I'm trying to make here is that nobody thinks that Wilson Fisk's cane is going to be shooting lasers. There is an element of surprise there. When Worf pulls out his phaser and he's pointing it at you, everybody expects a laser to come out of it. That's why Wilson Fisk only needs one shot because it's the element of surprise. And you said his training routine is to do the Macarena. Did I hear that correctly? Because I did that at school dances and it did not help my fighting style whatsoever. And you talk about all the training that Worf has. Wow, he has all that training and all that martial arts, and he gets wrecked every single episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. So either he wasn't paying attention in these classes, or he just didn't study. Because I would think any of that training could have helped him not get destroyed constantly. And oh, oh, James, thank God you said he beat a Ferengi. He beat a Ferengi, he, uh, the Ferengi, the porters and bartenders of the uh, universe. No, I'm so, don't beat the bouncer, beat up the bartender and then brag about it. Tough guy, Worf. He fought against a guy named Crossbones, who I think uh, reps very similar to Worf. Crossbones threw that dagger uh, at Kingpin and Kingpin was fast enough to pick up an entire table and block it. No big deal. And at the end of the day, the phaser is a powerful weapon. I'm not going to say that it's not. I would argue that uh, Kingpin could easily take a shot from it and keep going and close the ranks but Worf is a, Worf is a very honorable fighter he's not going to fight Kingpin with a phaser he's going to want to get up and close and personal to his own detriment you know I gotta tell you we're both bringing a lot of passion to this I think the reality Ray is that we both love each of these characters or both it's these true. characters a little too much but that's why it hurts and it's so much fun to do it all right look we're at the turning point Brian you've had a moment to ponder two points from both Ray and myself who do you think is ahead in this battle and what does the other side have to do to pull out the victory? Whew. All right, guys, it's still really close. I got Worf up by one right now, but I have to ask as well, given the rules of the game here, but how much of this stuff are they bringing in? I know that there's no, uh, it's a mutual ground. There's no prep and no outside interference. How much of this stuff are they coming into a neutral situation with? You know, I got to say the way, and I hate to say this, the way Ray has represented Kingpin, I feel is very accurate. I do think he'd have his Kevlar kind of protection in his jacket. I do think he'd have his cane. I do think he's having everything that Ray actually said he would have. In terms of Worf, all I can say is he's known to use those huge swords. He's known to use like... um phaser type of rifles that are way more powerful, but he doesn't carry them those on him. He's got that shorter six inch dagger, the Klingon dagger that's really powerful and a phaser. I think those are his basic, uh, you know, things he has on him at all times. Yeah, and if I may if I may also talk about this, I also agree I've been uh, repping Kingpin very, very well. Uh, he would probably also have a bazooka. He would probably Fair. have, you know, trained ninjas uh, to fight with him as, as equipment, of course, not as outside interference. And I would argue Worf almost assuredly would have no weapons at all and no clothes. Kingpin would also have an assortment of sandwiches and uh, fancy cheeses, you know, just to have in case he needs to entertain company. So, uh, you know, I, I, or or just go with the first answer. It's whatever you think, Brian. All right. All right. A lot of strong things there. Again, Kingpoint, Kingpin got a couple points there. I uh, really like the Kevlar armor. He's already thick. He's already a big guy. The armor is only going to help that. Uh, the obliterator cane is an interesting touch, one I wasn't aware of, and a Again, caught me by surprise. I'm sure it would catch Worf by surprise. And I 
do like the sleeping gas pen as well. Now, I'm pretty sure some of those, you know, things in the chemicals in the sleeping gas would affect probably the brain, which I don't know if Worf has two of. But uh, again, points for that there. Worf did lose a point initially for uh, losing a lot of fights, having that Worf effect. But the fact that he's trained so well in so many different fighting styles, he's resourceful and can turn almost anything into a weapon. I like that a lot. And this this phaser thing that can go from stun to death and have that wide range, that's that's intimidating for sure. So right now I got uh, Worf still in the lead by a little. Wow. Okay. Look, uh, Ryan, here's the deal. Being straight up with you, I've had the lead at, after point number two in so many battles and yet have still lost because Ray brings, you know, the power of point number three to this. I'm very interested to see where all of this goes. Let's see what's about to happen. We'll be right back for point number three. Sup, everyone. Brian here, host of the TV and Movie Trivia Podcast. It's a trivia-style podcast focusing on TV and movies. Listen in for questions like, what's the name of Michael Scott's screenplay? What do you say to view the Marauder's map? What are Tony Stark's last words to Thanos in Avengers Endgame? And where does Ron Burgundy say he is when he calls the news station sobbing from a phone booth? I've covered The Office, Harry Potter, Marvel, Will Ferrell movies, Lord of the Rings, and more, with even more on the way. So play along to the TV and Movie Trivia Podcast anywhere you get podcasts, and stay tuned for more trivia! And we're back. Ray, this is it. I'm a slightly ahead, according to our Judge Brian. I feel confident. Let- Let's see what you got with your point number three. Point number three for Kingpin. Let's talk about his smarts and his skill, because one big thing that separates the two of these characters is that Kingpin is much smarter than Worf is. He's also much more, he has more guile. He has more uh, tactical savvy when it comes to situations like this. That's what makes Kingpin such a great crime lord. He's always thinking two, three, four moves ahead, which is what enables him to always beat the rap. You notice how he's, you know, he gets arrested, sure, but nothing ever sticks. He gets out of jail that night and he's still going. Why? Because not only does he set up a chain of events to happen, they happen and he sees the repercussions and the ripple effect happen well ahead of time but also a phenomenal willpower. I, I agree that Worf probably has some decent willpower, but Kingpin is a guy who's resisted the purple man. And if you've seen Jessica Jones TV show, he is a guy who tells you what to do and then you just do it. You don't have control over it. He essentially mind controls you, but he could not pull that move on Kingpin. And if you can get super powered mind control and knock it down, you have the willpower to get that one extra shot in to win a battle. And you talked about Worf's uh, training act. And it's actually funny because Kingpin's isn't drastically different. He trains against great fighters from dojos all around the world, essentially for fun. His daily routine every single day is he fights five or more trained fighters from the best martial arts schools in the world. He flies, he has the money to fly all of these massively trained, massively powerful characters in and then fights them five at a time and wins. He often wins without breaking a sweat. He often wins without even getting hit once. He fought six ninjas by himself 
No problem. My favorite example of this, he beat eight different martial artists from top schools again. He beat eight of the best martial artists in the world in 17 seconds. 17 seconds to beat eight men and did not take a single hit in the entire combat. If you're like six foot 10 and 400 pounds fighting eight people at once and not one gets in a hit, what chance does Worf have in a one-on-one encounter? And let's talk about victories as well, because Worf kind of fights these no-name characters. You know, he's fought a Klingon, a member of the Borg, a Ferengi, apparently. But Kingpin has very specific wins over Daredevil multiple times, superhero character who is an amazing fighter, multiple wins over the Punisher, another guy who will fight dirty, always has a trick up his sleeve, and and he got many, many wins over the Punisher. He's got a win over Captain America. I know some people call that a draw, but the reality is Kingpin and Captain America were fighting, and then Captain America had to get saved by outside interference from the Falcon. As soon as a third party enters needing to save you, you have lost that battle. Captain America, no slouch in literally any department at all, but Kingpin has defeated him and he's also beaten the Red Skull. Not as impressive as the first three characters that I mentioned, but he took down a Nazi and that makes me happy. So he took out the Red Skull as well. Also what a fun thing, Kingpin has his own body double, which I thought was very interesting. He hired a guy who somehow is as big as Kingpin somehow, and then trots him out there as a realistic facsimile uh, for himself. So who knows in the middle of this battle, is war fighting the Kingpin? Or is Worf fighting their stunt doubles? Will he suddenly appear from behind uh, some sort of uh, a leaf of a tree and then punch him when he thinks he's got victory? I don't know. Last thing to talk about is, is the mad scientist way of Kingpin. For a while there in the middle of his story, a beginning middle, he was sort of a mad scientist like every single villain was in the Marvel Universe, unfortunately. So he understands futuristic gadgets probably a little bit better than other people were. He would not be surprised by the phaser. He's also manifested superpowers in others, such as Black Cat's Jinx ability. Don't exactly know how that works, but this is a character who can get it done. His training is too much, his intelligence is too high, and he's just too wily, savage, and willing to do whatever it takes to get a victory. And that's why he beats Worf every time, just like everybody else in Star Trek. And that's my point number three. It's funny how Worf didn't really get beat hardly ever in deep space nine almost like they were trying to kind of reestablish warp as the baddest he is there's more on that later okay now in terms of you know guile and intelligence you know kingpin is insanely smart no doubt about that however when you kind of compare that to what warp had to accomplish where he had to maneuver leadership within the klingon empire and then overtake character named Galron and Martok who were leading and were the high chancellors of the Klingon Empire. And then Worf maneuvered himself to take over an inter or, or a galactic empire that the Klingons had and became the high chancellor. And then said, you know what? I don't really want it. I'm going to give it to this guy. He actually did that all to create peace. That takes a lot of intelligence, a lot of guile, a lot of tactics as well. Now, on top of that, the daily routine for the Kingpin, super impressive. I love this about the Kingpin. Worf, as I already stated, does kind of the same thing. It's the holodeck, which can 
can create insanely realistic and, uh, you know, killers. But Warp does this with species and warriors from different planets, different wherever. And these are, a lot of them are very superhuman in terms of their strength, durability, and the weapons they have. So Kingpin's fighting the best of the best humans. Warp's doing the same thing, but with superhuman powered opponents. On top of that, Kingpin has wins over a lot of superheroes. He's also got way more losses over all of the heroes you mentioned. This is going to happen when you have a character like the Kingpin who's got a history of, what, 50-somewhat years? So he's got some great wins. He's also got some great losses to the same characters, probably a little, a few more losses than wins. Uh, stunt doubles, that's outside interference. Not allowed according to the Who Would Win rules, but a fun fact nonetheless. All right, let me get to my point number three. And for my point number three, let's talk about Kingpin's big weakness and the desire to win. Okay, so look, Ray, you did a great job at showing just how impressive the Kingpin is and what's not to like. You look at the guy and you have to ask yourself, does he have any weaknesses? I mean, he's super smart. He's incredibly strong and durable. He's faster than he looks. But as with all characters, he's got a couple of weaknesses, one in particular that's going to play out in favor of war. Firstly, it's his stamina. Ray, I know what you said. There's an outlier where Kingpin fights Spider-Man for six hours. That was an outlier. That's kind of like the exception that proves the rule. Look, I'll admit that his stamina is surprisingly good for someone of his size and muscle mass, but all joking aside, and it's a big, but the Kingpin's stamina has caused him to lose quite a few battles against the likes of Daredevil, the Punisher, and Spider-Man, amongst others. You, may, Ray, you mentioned he's got wins over them. He's got losses, and a lot of those losses because it's hard for him to carry around 400 pounds of muscle and then to fight with it against super tough opponents. That's a strain on the heart. But, you know, and this is the thing. I, I hate to say it. I wish he had better stamina because he better fights. But again, he's lost fights because he gets tired. That is a thing. And in fights with opponents who can take punishment and who have better than average stamina, never mind superhuman amounts of stamina like Warp does, well, the tank, Kingpin's going to get tired and either lose or more likely have no choice but to escape in order to survive and fight another day. Bottom line, if the fight is physically demanding and requires sustained exertion, it does not favor the Kingpin who has lost due to not having as good stamina as his opponents. Now, to compare this to Warp Stamina, his superhuman Cleon Stamina, that's multiplied due to his desire to fight with honor, something his Cleon heritage has planted firmly into his very being, is making this a quite a big factor. Look, we saw this on full display in the Deep Space Nine series. In one part of that series, he's captured, he has to fight 12 of those Jem'Hadar soldiers in a row. So he's captured by the Dominion Alien Empire, and Worf is forced to fight these Jem'Hadar soldiers one at a time to see how long that he can last. With each Jem'Hadar soldier, Worf faces much more powerful and a much better fighter than the last one. So Worf goes through 12 Jem Hadar soldiers nonstop until he gets to the 13th. By the time he's got he's there, he's got broken bones, blood loss, but he's kind of recovering because of the blood clotting. He can barely stand, but he won't give up. The more he gets hit, the more he resolves to never give up. Witnessing this, the 13th Jem Hadar that Worf is facing gives up and declares Worf the winner because he realizes he might not get the win. He might get the win physically over a battered Worf, but he'll never gain the true victory over Worf because Worf, Worf, will never give up and admit defeat. Unlike the Kingpin, whose lack of stamina causes him to lose and escape. Now, that's how Worf's going to win. See, Kingpin has a history of choosing or ret to retreat or withdraw from physical confrontations that go on for a while. I've already mentioned this all the time, but this is the thing. The Kingpin, he is, you know, when you, people look at him, they're like, well, the Kingpin is clearly a powerful guy. That's what's first for him. He's all power. That's what he is. No, 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 no. Kingpin's real thing is his mind. It's his intellect. His physicality is impressive, but it is not, in it doesn't actually really even compare to how 
how smart he is. And if someone who's really smart is fighting against someone who's not going to give up, who's going to do everything they can to mess him up, whether it's with the phaser, the dagger he has, or whatever, while the Klingon's taking on damage all of this time, as in Worf taking on that damage, well, the Kingpin's going to do some math. And the Kingpin's going to say, why am I doing this? I'm not gaining anything out of this. This is not a smart decision. Just like my fights with Spider-Man, Daredevil, and even the Punisher, who's the most regular human being out of all of his opponents, still a strong guy, just not cleared even close to peak, then he's going to do that against Worf. Look, in the end, Worf's going to be battered. He's going to be bloody. He's going to be messed up. Worf is going to have a ton of respect for the Kingpin. But if the phasers don't get it, because the Kingpin doesn't have an answer for the phasers, if he doesn't stab him with that this little short dagger, whatever that is, it's that willpower, that superhuman durability of Klingons. His way of fighting, that's going to get him the win in this fight. All of that is my point number three. Okay, I got a lot to say right here. I mean, obviously, I, I just uh, Kingpin has sumo ability. He's a, basically a sumo fighter, which means that he is very hard to be moved off of a spot. I would argue that uh, Daredevil, who he kind of had our trouble with, uh, he's beaten him many times, Kingpin has, but he's had trouble too. That's because Daredevil is a guy who's jumping and flipping and, and spinning around and hitting you from all ways. That's not how Worf fights. Worf is a straight-up, face-to-face power guy who's going to try to take you out at very, very standard combat ways, right? He's a power guy. He can't match Kingpin's power, so he's going to be easily dispatched in this particular case, right? Right. And the phaser, I'm not even worried about it. If he tries to shoot the phaser, which one, I don't think he would, honestly, because when he sees a large man on the show, he doesn't often pull out the phaser and start shooting. His first move, Worf is, is to go in and try to just put his hands on him and bring him down. That's who Worf is. And if he tries that with Kingpin, it's not going to go in his favor. And I bring back this legendary willpower James talks about, this legendary durability. In an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation named F, in the very beginning of the episode, Worf got hit in the back with a falling barrel, a falling barrel, and it broke seven pieces of his spine. And because paralysis is equating to death in the Klingon world, legendary willpower, fight through the pain, Worf, asked to be killed. He got asked to be killed because he got hit by a barrel. I would argue Kingpin hits a lot harder than a barrel. And if a barrel can paralyze him, Kingpin can do it with one hand literally tied behind his back. James, congratulations on your third point. You made my point for me. Kingpin is too smart and too savvy, not to the point where he'd suddenly weirdly give up, despite the fact that's not a thing he ever does. No, he's too smart to let somebody like Worf get under his skin. He's going to see that phaser. Worf's going to shoot that phaser at Kingpin, and he's going to pick up a chair or a table, and he's going to throw that in the way of the phaser, and it's going to evaporate the phaser, and then two things are going to happen. Kingpin's going to speed rush him like he did Deadpool, a much more powerful character, and he's going to get Worf in his clutches, and once he gets a grip, it's going to be over. Or he's going to say, I th- you, you look like a warrior. You look like a fighter to me. Why are you trying to use that phaser? Are you, are you a coward? Are you going to hide behind your technology? Because he's too smart. He's going to talk to Worf, and he's going to get him to put the phaser down, meet him, headbutt mano a mano, and that's when Kingpin will tear him limb from limb. I love Worf. I love Michael Dorn. I'll say it again. But in a hand-to-hand battle against Kingpin, he just doesn't match up. Unless you go by the points I just made. All right, listen, Brian, you've heard three points from both Ray and myself, and it's time for you to make a decision. But Before we get to what Brian has to say, let's celebrate the Who Would Win Patron of the Week. Every week, we choose one of our amazing members of the Who Would Win Show's Patreon community and put them in a battle. Ray, which patron do we have today? 
we have a brand new patron to our Patreon, and he gets to jump right to the front of the line because I've decided that's what's going to happen. So today's patron of the week is Saturnix 1001. Saturnix 1001, you're here. Let's see how you do. Ooh, Saturday Night's 1001, you sound noble. You sound powerful. You sound like someone who's got great willpower. Let's have you go up against someone with all those traits. Let's have this person battle Captain America. Captain America versus Saturnix 1001. Now, the 1001 could be referring to a whole lot of different things. He, that could be the number of wrestling holds that he knows, which would make one more than Dean Malenko and three less than Chris Jericho. But it doesn't. 1001 actually refers to the year. 1001. That takes us back to Viking times. That means that he is a berserker warrior with a giant axe and little to no armor slash clothing. Saturnix is going to stand there with Captain America, who is, of course, enhanced human. Very, very fast. One of the greatest fighters. And Captain America is going to try to go in with his shield. And he's going to try to get in some punches. And Saturnix 1001 is just going to let him get those punches in. Takes a few to the ribcage. Takes a few to the shoulders. Puts up his hands a little bit. And then he's going to grab Captain America by the two hands to the, around his neck. And he's going to headbutt him with so ferociously that Captain America is going to be forced to take a knee, put one finger in the air and say, I yield this round. Give me a sec. Let's try this again. The Berserker Fury is a little too strong. Saturnix 1001, the battle will continue, but you win round one against Captain America. Wow. He made Captain America take a knee. That yes, is insane. Well done, Saturnix1001. Remember, you too can become a celebrated patron of the week. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash who would win show and sign up, and you may be featured in an upcoming episode of Who Would Win. Brian, it's time for your decision. Take us through your process. Tell us a story, if you will, and reveal who you think wins this battle between the Kingpin and Worf. Guys, again, it was a really close matchup here. Again, a, a lot of great points, and we were so close in the last round and the round before that as well. Uh, now, uh, I'm not I'm not as great at my storytelling here, but I will tell you the points that uh, that uh, I like to hear. Loved hearing the smarts, the willpower. Uh, a previous episode, I think, was mentioning maybe Ash versus the alien. Uh, alien queen and uh, you know that willpower there too i like it i think it's a strong argument being able to resist the purple man's mind tricks was a big one for me uh this daily routine the kingpin has is of fighting uh five master trainers here all at the same time now that did mimic a lot of uh wharfs ones for me these uh holographic death machines too that he's fighting Oh boy, the fact that he's a mad, mad scientist, he understands gadgets, I like these things too, but a lot can be said for Worf as well, that he was also able to finagle his way into the upper politics of his government and create so, put someone there that was more peaceful, I like that a lot. Let's see, this whole, uh, this again, the willpower here, training, uh, fighting trained soldiers, each stronger than the previous one before the other one just uh, just doesn't see the point of continuing. I like that. Now, uh, we did say something here about honor. I think Kingpin would play a little bit dirty here. Maybe convince Worf to put down his phaser for a second here at least, uh, trying to, you know, mess with his mind a little, confuse him. But uh, at, at the end of the day, I think that phaser is too intimidating, and I have to give this one to Worf. Wow. This, I gotta tell you, 
This was a matchup. I love, first of all, Brian, I love how you put everything together. I love how you made this a mathematical equation and really put all the variables in line for this battle. Because the only area where I could say for sure that Worf has a distinct advantage is that phaser. And the problem is that phaser is a really powerful advantage. This is something that can be used in a whole bunch of different ways from long range, from short range. I do think the Kingpin is actually more powerful than Worf, but then Worf will realize that and say, you know what, time for tactical analysis here. I'm gonna get cover and shoot this thing from a distance, which by the way, is the same way that Agent 47 got the win over the Kingpin in a previous who would win matchup. Well done, Brian. Ray, just when I thought you couldn't get any better as a debater, you come out today swinging and I was on the ropes the entire time. I am surprised I got the win. Tell the Legion of Audience, our fan base, how you feel with this decision. I feel very disappointed in this decision. I feel like I laid it out there about as clearly as I possibly could. I understand that the phaser is big, but where was the phaser when Worf is getting wrecked by every single person on Star Trek The Next Generation? I've seen him shoot the phaser before. So what? I, I, I think that Kingpin is too fast. He will absolutely see that blast coming, get out of the way, close the distance, and then once he does that, the battle is over. I, I do agree that if Worf sets it to kill, he might stun the kingpin. I just don't see Worf character-wise as somebody who would take that route against a bigger opponent. That speaks of cowardice, and a Klingon would much rather choose death than cowardice, and I think the wrong decision by far was made today. I think the right decision, is, and we've said this before, is to make this somehow into a live-action event because the fans, the Legion of Audience, our faith fan base, and especially me, by the way, I want to see this played out Let's figure out how to make this happen because this just sounds like a fantastic episode. On a side note, Marvel and Star Trek have had a number of encounters together where Wolverine got kind of um, neck pain. Those are weird. Spock. I know they're Those very are weird. weird. I know, but it's a thing. I'm just saying it's not out of the realm of possibility of war facing the kingpin. All right, Brian, listen, you were fantastic as a first time judge. You killed it. Please come back to our show. In the meantime, tell our fan base, the Legion of Audience, where they can find you. Guys, again, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I've had so much fun talking to you guys, figuring this out, putting this all down on paper. This was a lot of fun for me, especially exploring these characters that I'm not very familiar with myself, but now feel like I have very strong personal attachments to. So I appreciate that. But again, you can find me at the TV and Movie Trivia Podcast. Uh, questions all about all kinds of movies. We've done Disney recently, Will Ferrell movies, X-Men's coming up, Steven Spielberg movies coming up here too, all kinds of stuff. And again, uh, Ray has been a guest on my show multiple times, just one of my favorite guests here. As listeners know, you bring so much to the show and I always appreciate having you on and I hope this doesn't affect our friendship. Uh, but again, you can find me at TV Trivia Pod on all the socials, email at gmail.com and, you know, listen in and it's a lot of fun. Definitely check out that podcast and the episodes Ray Stacanus is on. They're fantastic. Ray, wow, this was a close one. Congratulations on a great effort today. Please tell our listeners where they can find you. 
Well, first off, Brian, I want to thank you for your one and only appearance. You will ever be a judge on the Who Would Win show. You know, wow. you got sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you have a big lead going into the second half and everything looks to be on your side. And then you yeah. just start dropping passes, ignoring field goals. Right, and you right. wonder what happened at the end of the game. And you suddenly <laughs> are looking at a defeat that you shouldn't have. And you're watching somebody else enjoy your glory. I could be talking about anything right now, but I'm talking about you on the Who Would win show of course specifically and i want to thank all the rainiacs and awkward allies who no doubt are going to be pouring onto social media to talk about what a grave injustice of all time this decision was you all know what happened here you all saw me absolutely dismantle wharf from pillar to post from bell to bell from ringer to other thing. The point I'm trying to make here is that Kingpin clearly would win this matchup. I've proven it beyond a shadow of a doubt, but I couldn't convince one person. Is this show fair? I'll just ask the question. Is this show even fair? Probably not. Is life fair? Obviously not, but I'll be back to win next week. And where can people find you, Ray? You can find me on threads at almighty Ray three sixteen. Why wouldn't you? That's fair. Look, you can find me on X, a.k.a. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by typing in at James Gavsey. That's a thing. Remember to join the official Who Would Win Facebook group to make a suggestion for a matchup for the show and be part of our growing community. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok at Who Would Win Show. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you go for your podcasts. On behalf of myself, Ray Sicanus, and the rest of the amazing Who Would Win production team, thank you once again for checking out another episode of Who Would Win. We'll see you next time. Hey gang, I hope you enjoyed this episode and love listening to the show as much as we enjoyed making it. Quick reminder that you can support us by going to patreon.com slash show right now. Okay, gotta prepare for next week's episode. Hope the rest of your day is full of wins. Remember crying when Optimus Prime died? Or the days when every series had a ham-fisted anti-drug episode? Or when you wrote fan fiction about how the Animaniacs were so hot in that water tower so they took off all their clothes and they started... No! No, different podcast. This one is Knowing is Half the Podcast, a show devoted to the best and worst animated memories of your childhood. Every week we recap a cartoon from the past to see if they're as good as you remember. They're not. What are you talking about? They're great! You're both wrong. None of them get good until they're in a water tower. No! No. And Knowing is Half the Podcast.